right, amen. Okay, open up your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3. Okay, so... We've been talking about the uh, seven New Testament mysteries, and we're going to go through them uh, one by one. And uh, this week we're going to be talking about the very first mystery, and that is the mystery of godliness. Now, the reason why you should know this one is very, very plain, very, very simple. Isaac, what do you need? All right, Isaac needs a paper. He had forgotten that one. Should you come get it, or should we just pass it down? Okay. All right, because we cannot begin... Until Isaac has his paper. Okay. You good, Isaac? Yeah. All right. Awesome. Okay. All right. So we're, we're covering this one um, for a, a really, really, I mean, in very important reason. It's kind of, you know, staring you right in the face. Uh, it's the mystery of godliness. God becoming a man. Uh, someone tell me really quick, why is that important? Why is that important to understand this mystery? God becoming a man. Timmy. Because if he didn't, Yeah, exactly. So this is huge. I mean, people's salvation is on the line with this one. And so if you get this one wrong, um, you're going to hell. I mean, that may sound pretty harsh, but it is the truth. Like, if you get this one wrong, there's no way you can have favor with God. There's no way that you'll be able to get into heaven. There's no way that you're going to be able to even tell someone else how to get into heaven and how to be right with God. There's no way. So this one is very, very critical, very, very important. So as we kind of work through this, we're going to talk about bits and pieces of it. Um, I've got an illustration that I want to share with you guys in a, in a little bit. I'll be asking for a volunteer, um, and I don't like to voluntold people like Andy. So if you would like to volunteer or think about volunteering, maybe if you want to pray about volunteering, God can answer your prayer this morning by being a volunteer. Okay? All right. That's later. Okay. So don't worry about that now. All right. So we're going to talk about 1 Timothy 3.16. All right. So take a look at this verse. 1 Timothy 3.16. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, and received up in the glory. Now, I wish that we could go through this verse in great detail, uh, but if we were to do so, we'd take at least two hours. Right, Rick? Because we did that in, J- in JVI. Um, it takes at least at least two hours, and even then I felt like I was cheapening because I didn't get to go through all the details that I wanted to get through with this particular verse. This verse is absolutely loaded. So what we're going to focus on here is the first part of this verse. Without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. And we're going to spend time talking about those two aspects of this verse in verse 16. And so as you kind of look at your guys' paper a little bit, you've got this chart up here. When we talk about the mystery of godliness, this is covering various different topics within uh, theology, if you were to break it out and study it that way. Um, It covers areas of bibliology, which is the study of the Bible, theology proper, which is the study of God and understanding who God is. It covers areas of Christology, the study of Christ, (laughs) pneumatology, the study of the Holy Ghost, and soteriology, the study of salvation. So this one is very, very important, very important. Like we've already talked about, who is the cornerstone? Who's the chief cornerstone of our foundation? Jesus Christ, according to what verse? Anyone know that one? Anyone want to guess the book? Joshua. (laughs) No, we just don't know. (laughs) There's two of them but it's in one of the two. Nope, not the Peters. It's not 2 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 is where that's at. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. I know sometimes I always get confused between the first and the second. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you just kept it to yourself. (laughs) There you go. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Take a look at this real quick. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And in case you're wondering, it's like the first reference in the first point, by the way. 1 Corinthians 3. 1 Corinthians 3. Verse 11. It says, For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if any man build upon this foundation, and then it starts to go through the different things that you can build upon the foundation of Jesus Christ. 
So Christ, salvation, is the beginning. He is the foundation. He is the cornerstone from which the foundation is laid by the apostles and the, and the prophets, as it says in the book of Ephesians. And so now you have this fact uh, that is absolutely, I mean, it's, a, it's just, it's a fact. One of these things that you've got to understand is that if you get Jesus wrong, you get everything wrong. If you don't, if you don't get Jesus right, man, everything just completely falls apart. So this is very very, very important. Now, the first thing I want to talk about here is without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. So this goes along with our first point. This is the foundation of our faith. It's the foundation. This is the beginning. So your first blank is foundation. It's the foundation of your faith. So if you trust, if you've trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ as your savior, he is the foundation. Like you can't save you. It's not possible. Once you've sinned, you can't get rid of it. You need a substitute. You need someone to pay for your sin. And so Jesus is that foundation. So that is absolutely critical to understand. And not only that, but he is the author and the finisher of our faith. So look at Hebrews 12, Hebrews chapter 12. So he's the foundation of it. But according to Hebrews chapter 12, he's the author and he's the finisher of it. <clears throat> Hebrews 12. And someone read verse 2. Verse 2. Haley. Okay, so right there, <clears throat> he is the author and finisher of our faith. Now, see, what I love about this is that there's a lot of people that believe that you can lose your salvation, and that's just not possible because he wrote it, he created it, and then he finished it. So I just believe it, and he takes care of it. And that's what I love about this, and this is so important for us to understand because there's a lot of people that are out there that believe that you can lose your salvation. Now, practically speaking, that makes sense, right? Because you can have a friendship with somebody, and then you can do something stupid or they can do something stupid and you can lose that friendship, right? But it's not how it works with the Lord. That's not how it works. Because think about this within your family. Now, can you fight with your parents? And can you have a very difficult time and it'd be super hard and awkward in your home? Okay, yes, it's totally possible. But can you ever stop being your parents' son or daughter? No, never. Even if you were to change your name, even if you were to move out, even if you were to never talk about them ever again, you still are related to your mom and your dad. Like there's nothing, you cannot rewrite your DNA, right? So that's why when Jesus says you must be born again, when you're born again, when you're born again in Christ, through Christ, what he's done for, for us on the cross, he has completely made you a brand new creature. So you're not the same creature that you used to be. Your DNA is now completely different, spiritually speaking. And so now that your DNA is now different on a spiritual level, you can't be taken out of God's family. You can't be unborn out of God's family. But there's a lot of people that are walking around thinking that you can. And they are living fear day by day by day, not understanding the love that God has for us and giving us the assurance of, of our salvation. So he is the author and he's the finisher of it. So if you get Jesus wrong, you're done messed up. And you're going to have a heavy, 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 heavy price to pay. Now, why is this important for us to know? Go to the book of Jude. Go to the book of Jude. So it's the second to last book in your New Testament, Jude and then Revelation. <clears throat> Jude. <clears throat> yeah, no, not that one. Okay. God bless that. Was that Jude or a Jew? <laughs> Jude. God bless you. Okay, verse 3. <laughs> verse 3. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. And here's the reason why. So why should we fight for this? Why should we earnestly contend for it? Why should we be getting in conversations with people about the gospel and about things of the Bible and about the things of, of Jesus and the things of like... You know, even issues of, of, you know, eternal security or, or why you live a certain way and you give them answers that are actually biblical. Why should we actually talk to people about that? Because that's exactly what it says. You should earnestly contend for the faith. Not sit back and not do anything. Earnestly contend for it. Verse 4. For there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, 
turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness or unbridled lust and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. So why should we fight for the faith? Because there are people out there that are actively trying to destroy it. And if the gospel is destroyed, what are people going to do? Anyone want to answer that one? Yeah, yeah. People will go to hell because ungodly people are out there trying to destroy the gospel. They are changing the truths of the Bible into something that they want in order to appease their flesh or to give them power over other people. You know, I've had people come to me all the time and say, oh, I hate religion. And you know what I tell them? I do too. And usually when I tell them that, the look on their face is priceless. Because generally it's someone who's been burned by some you know, form of Christianity or, or Catholicism or something like that. Or, or something bad has happened in their past or with their family regarding God or the Bible or religion or whatever. And I say, I do too. And guess who else did? Jesus. Because when he came, he absolutely destroyed the religious leaders. Absolutely destroyed them. Because they weren't living right. They were taking the truth and they were resting it or twisting it and making it turn into something that wasn't actually beneficial to anybody. Except for themselves. It gave them power and influence over other people to control them. And they love that power. They love that status. And they love the position that it gave them. They love the money it gave them. They love the influence it gave them. And so they were using God for their own personal gain. People do this all the time. There are churches out there right now that are doing this all the time. They take people's money in order to benefit themselves. And they might even genuinely deep down think they're actually doing something good. When in reality, they're not. They're using God for their own benefit, which is absolutely terrible. So we need to know how to earnestly contend for it. So when you have opportunities to to correct someone on the truth, you should do it. You should do it. When you have the opportunity to give the gospel to somebody, you should do it. How many of you today, like right now, would be super nervous to give the gospel to somebody? I would. Now, I'm a lot more comfortable than I used to be. Because I've done it more and more. It's like with anything else. It just takes practice. So you need to start thinking about some of this stuff. Because if you don't fight for the faith, who else is going to? Because for some of you, you're the only person in your school. Some of you, you're the only person in your home that believes this. So if you don't say something, who is going to? You can't rely on other people. That's one thing. The body of Christ doesn't work this way. And we're, we're going to get to more of this on Wednesday nights when we get into more spiritual gift stuff. But you just can't sit on the sidelines and expect someone else to do it. But you, you just can't. You can't do that. You have to understand that God has given you breath. He's given you life. And he wants you to do something with it. And he doesn't want you to serve yourself. He wants you to serve him. And he, at a great painstaking cost to himself, authored and finished the gospel. I mean, he went through, I mean, think of all the stuff that Christ went through for you and I. Great inconvenience, great pain, great suffering, right? And so why, why do we just not want to let God bother us? We should let God bother us at any time. We should let him have his way whenever he wants in our life, however he wants, whenever he wants to do whatever he wants us to do. But especially when it comes to the gospel. So it is the foundation of your faith. And you should be a good owner of this. All right, the second point here. And this is something that I wanted to go through. It's, so, it's a basic thing that I've hit a lot with people, especially people that don't believe in God. Um, but God exists and he is true. Uh, Psalm 53 says, the fool has said in their heart, there is no God. So if someone believes that there is no God, they are a fool. That is the Bible's definition. Um, that's not my opinion. That's not anyone else's opinion. That's what God has said. He calls them a fool. There are three proofs that God is true. I'll give you them right in a row and then we'll talk about them. The first one <clears throat> that you first blank under here is scripture. The Bible says God exists. A lot of people don't like that one, but it is true. The Bible says God exists. That's the first one. The second one is nature. When you look out into the world, the created world, the universe, it screams God and you have to be taught otherwise. And the third thing is your conscience, your conscience. Your God-given conscience. Inside of you, God has written his law in your heart and your conscience bears witness to that law. And I want to go through those verses with you as well. All right? So the first thing, scripture. Genesis 1.1. Somebody quote that one for me. In the beginning, God. All right. 
That's how the Bible starts. You know, the Bible could have been started any other way. Like, it could have explained what God was doing from eternity past up until that point. What made him think about starting to create stuff. No, it doesn't. It just straight out of the gate says, in the beginning, God. So you know what that tells me? And you know what you can learn from that? The Bible does not see the need to explain God's existence. He just, he is. People that don't want to believe in God will find reasons not to believe in God. They just will. They will. But the Bible says, in the beginning, God. It doesn't give any explanation of his existence, where he came from. A lot of people ask that question, which is kind of dumb, because he always was, so he never had an origin. So think about that a little bit. And when your brain starts melting, stop. And you can start thinking about something else. Okay, in the beginning, God. So the Bible does not explain God's existence. It doesn't explain anything about it. It just says God. That should be very, very significant. And that should give you great confidence. Because I think in today's world, if you believe in God, you are made to feel like an idiot. You are made to feel like an idiot. And I'm telling you, that is intentional. That is absolutely intentional. For most of human history, the belief in God was just understood. Only within the last, maybe, like, 200 years, it's been challenged. Maybe. But outside of that, the Bible just says, hey, God exists. So this should give you some great confidence. The Bible says God exists, therefore you can believe us. That's proof number one. Proof number two, nature. Go to Romans chapter one. Romans chapter one, nature. Romans 1. These verses need to be a go-to for you if you have opportunities at school. And hopefully if you carry around your Bible, you have it with you. If not, you have your Bible app you can use when you're in a pinch. Romans chapter 1, verse 20. Somebody read 20 and give me a second reader to read verse 21. Okay, 20. Anyone's 21? Haley. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are, are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. And then 22, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. Now, this tells you exactly what's going on today. All right? So the fact of the matter is in verse 20, The invisible things of him, so the things that you can't see about God from the creation of the world are clearly seen. So the things that you cannot see about God, because there's people that be like, okay, I'm not going to believe in God because I can't see him. Okay, well, this verse says that you can through the things that he has made. The invisible things of God are clearly seen through the created world. It's exactly what we just read. And then it says, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead. So that means you can even understand the Trinity and the power of God by studying creation. Now that is absolutely amazing. Absolutely amazing. When you go out into creation, I mean, you can study stuff like the grass, snowflakes, trees, the clouds, rain, the water cycle. I mean, you can start to study all these sorts of things and they all scream God. You know what number you find in creation the most? Three. What's the strongest object shape? The triangle. People didn't, I mean, where'd that come from? Men looked out in creation and saw the strongest object and then they mimicked it and started creating bridges and all that kind of stuff. When you look at every bridge, every bridge has a triangle. Why? Yeah, it's the strongest. They got that from creation. And so you start to understand all these intricacies and how God has made everything. His handprints are all over the place. And so for people to look out into the created world and not see God is because they were taught otherwise. My kids, and this is just a great case in point. My kids, ever since they've been really little, when they started to understand some basic stuff, right? It was just like God exists, I mean, in their heart and in their life. Now, part of that's because it's part of our family and it's the way we've raised them. But when I say, yeah, there are people out there that believe that we actually came from other animals such as, like, monkeys. And they're like, what? Like, <laughs> I think every little kid's reaction to that statement, which, of course, in evolution is saying, we don't believe that. Okay, whatever. All right. Yes, you do. In principle, yes, you do. Okay. So going through it and talking about that with a child, a child's like, 
that's weird. That's weird. Like, it's weird. But it's taught so much as from children into teenagers that now people are like, oh, yeah, it's common. It's common. People throw around years like, yeah, the dinosaurs were 600 and something billion years ago, million billion years ago. Like, really? Really? I mean, is it possible? I don't know. I mean, the way that I think things unfold in the Bible, sure, it might be possible, but what? No. No. Human race has only been here for about 6,000 years. We're going to be here a total of seven before God makes an end of everything and starts over again. And there's scientific proof to back that up. So anyway, you start to work through some of these sorts of things, and you find out that there is great, great evidence of God's existence. But here's what I want you to see in verse 21. So it says at the end of verse 20, so that they're without excuse. So there's no excuse. No one has an excuse. They can say they don't believe in God, but God does exist. And then here's the reason why. Because if you notice at the end of verse 20, as a colon at the end of excuse, which means he's explaining. Why, why is it this way? Why is it that people want to contend against it? He's giving you that reason behind it. Because that, when they knew God, so they already knew that God existed deep down, but they decided to not glorify him as God, neither were they thankful, and they became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. See, that's exactly what happens. You step away from God, and then you become vain in your imaginations. And how do you step away from God? That verse says it right there. There's two things you can do, because when they knew God, then there's two things right after it. First thing is that you don't glorify him. And what does it mean to glorify God? Do things that make him happy. Yeah. You honor him. How do you glorify your parents? You obey them with a great heart attitude. Okay? And they take glory in that. They're very proud of you for those things. Your accomplishments, the things that they have, they have taught you how to do, or the things you've done yourself that they're just super proud of you about. So you can glorify your parents. Okay, glorify God. So when you choose not to live in the will of God, you cannot glorify God. You only glorify yourself. And the second thing, what does it say? Neither were they thankful. They were not thankful. So when you choose not to glorify God, submit your life to his authority and do the things that he has called you to do, and you are not thankful for what God has given you, you have no gratitude towards the Lord and what he's given you then your foolish heart will be darkened. You'll become vain in your imaginations and your foolish heart will be darkened. This is how good Christian people get into a mess of sin because they choose not to glorify God because they're too busy glorifying themselves. They are not thankful for what God has given them in their life and for the life they have and even for the eternal life that they have and what God has saved them from. And so then they become vain in their imaginations start to choose to do whatever they want and their foolish heart is darkened. And the only hope out of that is for them to be broken by God or for them to humbly submit and repent. That's it. That's where evolution comes from. That's where your sin problems come from. That's where my sin problems come from. That's where hard-heartedness and stubbornness in issues that we should be letting go of comes from. It comes from all that stuff. All right, so we got nature. We got scripture. God says that he exists. Nature says that God exists. And then let's look at our conscience. All right, so back it up to verse 19. Because it says in verse 20 and 21 that they knew God. Well, how do they know God already before even looking at creation? Verse 19. <clears throat> because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has showed it unto them. So God has already put something in you to prove that he exists. In verse 19. And then take a look at verse, uh, chapter 2, <clears throat> verse 14 and 15. All right, somebody read those two verses for me. 14 and 15. Nast and lay out, Sam. For when the Gentiles, which have not the law, do by nature the things contained in the law, these having not the law are a law unto themselves, which show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and their thoughts, and their thoughts the meanwhile accusing or else excusing one another. Okay, verse 15 hit me like a huge truck when I really realized this. Verse 15 tells you exactly how this works out. So, which show the work of the law written in their hearts. So God's law, his existence and his law is written in the heart of every human being. There's not a single one of you in this room that does not have God's law written on your heart. Every person that's out there that claims to be an atheist and says that God does not exist, inside of their heart is the law of God and it is written. It is written on their heart. Okay, This is very important for you to know. Because I can get in circumstances where I'm talking to someone on a spiritual level and I can feel very intimidated. 
and I can feel like I'm completely inadequate and I feel like they can bulldoze me and I feel like they can just start to give me all this information that I'm not sure exactly how to answer, right? We can do this all the time. You have to understand going into that conversation, God's law is written on their heart already. It doesn't matter the words that come out of their mouth. Inside of their heart is the law of God. And your job, your job is to be the mouthpiece of the Holy Spirit and allow God to use your words to stir that up in their heart. That's it. You don't have to have all the right answers. You don't have to be very articulate in how you say it. You can fumble over all your words and it doesn't matter because God will use it because you are trying to tell them the truth and he will use that to stir in the heart of that lost person or the person that is callous in their sin who may have been completely wayward from Christ. God will use that to prick their heart and for them to understand the law that's already written there. Okay? So you got to know that. This is where believing the Bible comes into play over believing your emotions. Your fear that you might have about sharing your faith or something spiritual with someone, I totally get it. But you have to understand that they are going to be receptive. They're not maybe receptive on the front. They might even fight with you about it. They might even yell at you about it. They might even get physical with you about it. But the reality is, is that God is going to use it and they are going to be convicted. So they have the law written on their hearts. And then here's what happens. So let's say you're in a circumstance where you're talking to somebody and you have the opportunity to share with them the gospel or you do something simple like even just inviting them to church and you throw out a word like church or Bible or Jesus. Even that alone God can use. And so once you have that opportunity and you open up your mouth and you decide to take a stand, it says their conscience also bearing witness and their thoughts the meanwhile accusing or else excusing one another. So you show up, you tell someone the gospel, all right? And then God is going to take your words and it's going to stir inside of their heart. And then what happens is their conscience bears witness to the law that's there. So when they hear the words of truth, their conscience is going to say, that is true. That's true because of what's already written on their heart. And then after that, the next thing that shows up are thoughts. So after conscience, you have then their thoughts and their thoughts do two things. The meanwhile, accusing or else excusing one another. Okay? So this happens all the time to me. All right? When I am convicted, and if I'm doing something stupid and wrong, and I read the Bible, or someone comes and talks to me about it, then my thoughts that I have at that point in time, because my conscience is like, yep, you're wrong. Yep, that is true, and what you're doing is wrong. Then I have thoughts. My thoughts are... You're right. I'm an idiot. I shouldn't have done that. I need to take care of that. That's the accusing. Or, ah, it's not that big of a deal. Like, it's really not that big of a deal. I mean, yeah, yeah, I get it. Yeah, sin is sin. But, I mean, it's really not that big of a deal. I don't have to be all that concerned about it. Yeah, I feel bad about it, but it's really not that big of a deal. And, you know, just, I'm, I'm, I'm done. I don't, need to, I don't need to worry about this right now. Excusing just excuses it away. Every time that we're confronted with truth, this is what happens. Every time we come in here, we open up the Bible and we preach the things out of the Bible, this is what happens with you. Your conscience tells you if what I'm saying is actually true, and then your thoughts you have either say, hey, that's true, and you're not living right, or you're like, I'm good, I'm good. And you leave the same the way you came in. And maybe even sometimes worse, because you neglected them. Your conscience is very, very powerful. Don't ever underestimate someone's conscience. God will take something very, very small, something very, very trivial, even just how you care about someone or even maybe a text message, and God can use that to stir inside of someone's heart. Probably one of the greatest stories that I love, and uh, and most of you guys know it already, but, um, you know, with Jack's friend Garrett, which Garrett's not here this morning, but when Garrett got saved, I love the fact that at camp I was talking to him, and he's like... um, you know when it all started for me? And I'm like, no, when? He's like, I was playing Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, right? I want to hear this story. Because most Christians today be like, oh, Dungeons and Dragons, that's evil. And then they're like, okay. Yeah, there are some things in Dungeons and Dragons that are not good, okay? All right, I'll just put it out there. Just like there's things that are not good in the movies you see and the music that you listen to and the video games that you play. Okay, <clears throat> all right, and the friends you got. <clears throat> okay. <laughs> so, but he was telling me the story about how he, when because you role-play characters, and there's a role-play that he ended up being the character of a cleric, which is someone who worshipped a deity, 
So it wasn't even like God or Jesus or anything. But he got his mind into the mindset of being a cleric. And if you lived your life to please a deity, it's only, all this is completely godless. And yet God takes that and starts pricking his heart because his conscience is screaming at him saying, this is what you need to do, but not with this. <laughs> and so that's what started the ball for him. And see, he was very aggressive against the gospel. So you guys need to keep this stuff in mind when you're talking to people and some of your friends and some of the opportunities you might have. And you never know how God's going to use whatever he uses in order to reach people because God loves people. He's not willing that any should perish. He wants all to come to repentance. And you've got to understand that. So understanding God's heart about this matter, understanding that, that the law is written on the heart of every person should give you great confidence, even if you don't even have all the words to say, to go up and talk to somebody about it. You should take advantage of it. All right, so those are the three proofs that God exists. And if someone's not willing to believe that God exists because of those three things, then their heart is very, very hard. But that does not mean that you don't share these things. Because if you share these things with somebody, God will still use it. He will still use it because God is true and we are not. All right, so without controversy. There's no controversy about it. There may be great controversy about the existence of God today and who Jesus is, but it is absolutely not true what people are being controversial about. The Bible is true and every man is a liar. All right, point number two that I want to hit. So God was manifest in the flesh. Now, most of these verses we've heard before because of the Christmas season that we just went through, uh, but the incarnation was prophesied. Prophesied, that's your first blank under that, that section. The incarnation was prophesied. So God foretold that he was going to come. And it all happened back in Genesis 3.15. Go to Genesis 3. Genesis, first book of your Bible. If you look at the table of contents, it'll be the first one listed. Genesis chapter 3. So Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve follow the lead of the devil, who's called the serpent in this context. And uh, they both sin. And so God comes down because he wanted to have a relationship with them, but they were naked and they were hiding. God calls them out. Adam blames his wife. The wife blames the devil. And then God makes judgments on all three of them. And so when he makes judgments on all three, he says something very interesting in verse 15. And this is the, the judgment given unto the devil, the serpent. In verse 15, it says, And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed, it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Okay, so right here, this is the first promise of Christ coming, God coming in the flesh, because it says, first of all, that there's going to be two seeds that are going to be at, at odds against each other. You have the seed of the serpent, and you have the seed of the woman. Now, simple biology, do women have seeds? No, they do not. They do not. So right there, you know, out of the gate, this is going to be a supernatural birth. This is going to be something that unfolds because God is going to give her a seed. And it says very specifically that it, so her seed, is going to bruise thy head, that would be the serpent's head, and thou, the serpent, shall bruise his heel. So that is even foretelling of the crucifixion. Okay? So right there in Genesis chapter 3, you have the virgin birth, God coming in the flesh, the devil being at odds against him and the crucifixion. It's quite amazing. So you have that verse that tells you that he was coming. Now, let's go over to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1. Because the second blank is that the incarnation was fulfilled. Fulfilled. So it was prophesied and then it was fulfilled. Matthew chapter 1. <clears throat> All right, Matthew 1, verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise, when as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privily. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, 
Thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. See, that's where the seed came from. It came from the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, that's Isaiah 7, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Then Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him, and took unto him his wife, and he knew her not till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. So right there, that's the fulfillment of it. His name being Emmanuel, meaning God with us. God is now become a man. All right, now here's my question to you. Why is that even important? I've asked at the beginning, Timmy had said, what'd you say? Why is it important that God became a man? Yeah, we would not have a savior. There's no way that we could be saved. Now, why, why is that? Why is that? So this is important for us to understand. So the impossible was made possible, all right? So Jesus is 100% God and 100% man. Now, why is this necessary? Can anybody give me an answer on this one? I mean, I can give it, but <laughs> I, want, I want you to give it. Go ahead, Kent. Okay. Yes. And explain some of that, like the whole sinless aspect of it. Go ahead. He went through like the same temptations that we did because he was a man, but yep. like he didn't give into them like we Yes. So what did Jesus not have? Sin. He wasn't born into sin. Yes. So he did not have what's called a sin nature. He did not have a sin nature. Okay, He was still in a sinful flesh, but he did not have a sin nature. Okay, Because think about it for a second. It's the seed of the woman. The body still came from the woman. Okay, So it still could get sick. It still could get hurt and cut and bleed. It still could do all... I mean, all the, I mean imagine, Jesus got the flu. I don't know if you knew that, but he got the flu. I don't know when, but I know he got the flu. All right? <laughs> He may have had to have minor surgery. I don't know. I don't know. Okay? Because his body was frail. It was, it was, it was like ours. All right? But inside, that was sinless. Now, this is important. Anyone know a verse reference that talks about how we have inherited sin from Adam all the way through? Nope, not 1 Corinthians. Well, I mean, actually, yeah, First Corinthians 15 talking about that, the resurrection. Yes, but these are verses you guys got to nail down if you're going to be doing VBS. We do these ones at VBS all the time. Yes, Romans 5.12. For as by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men and for that all have sinned. Okay, very important verse. So because you are born with the seed of a man, Adam, all the way through the generations of mankind up to you now, you now have a sin nature. So you were born into sin. So you were born a sinner. Jesus Christ did not have the seed from Adam. He had the seed from the Holy Ghost. So that gave him a sinless nature. But yet he had the body of a man that came from his mom, Mary. And so that way he could die. But yet he himself on the inside was sinless. Now, he was tempted in every point like we are yet without sin. That's Hebrews chapter 4. And that is absolutely true, but it's important for us to really understand why this is the case, okay? Now, why was this necessary? It was necessary, and this is our second point under the impossible is made possible. It was necessary to, in order to destroy the works of the devil. So if he is going to be our redeemer, he has to destroy the works of the devil. Let's take a look at these two verses. Go to Hebrews 2, and someone go to 1 John 3, 1 John 3, 8. Go ahead, Sam, 1 John 3, 8. Everyone go to Hebrews, Hebrews 2. Hebrews. I love that Moses joke about Hebrews. I think about it every time. Hebrews. Everyone know that one? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> How does Moses make his coffee? He brews it. Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> Hebrews 2. All right. Verse 14. And this explains what we were even just talking about. Verse 14, chapter 2, Hebrews. 
For as much then as the children are partakers of the flesh and blood, he also, talking about Christ, likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. For verily he took not on him the nature of angels, but he took on him the seed of Abraham. Wherefore in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself had suffered, being tempted, he is able to secure them that are tempted. So he's able to be that comforter and to secure us uh, when we are in temptations and moments of temptation because he bore our weight and our sin and our shame. And he also went through all the same temptations we are, that we went through and that we go through, and yet he was without sin. All right, go ahead and read the First John 3. Eight. He that commits sin is of the devil, for the devil sinned from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. Okay, so the reason why Christ showed up was to destroy the devil's works. Now, what were the devil's works? You could go back and you study all that stuff out. But basically, what did he do in Genesis chapter 3? He deceived Eve. And Adam followed the lead and ended up falling into sin. And then the rest of humanity was completely corrupted. And so that was a work of the devil. And so when Jesus showed up, he came to eradicate that, to give us hope, to give us eternal life, to give us the gospel. So this is why it's important for us to understand. So flip your pages over. And we're going to do our illustration. So where's my volunteer? You got to do this quickly. You want to do it? Sure. Eh, I don't know. Let me get another volunteer. You volunteer a lot. I like you. Don't worry about it. I just need to read a lot. Reading into it. Oh! Ooh. You want to do it? Okay. All right. Of course it got burned. No, Pete's just being an idiot. Okay. That's what I do. Now, I've never done this illustration before, so it may not work out. Just forewarning you. Okay. Oh. 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 Oh.
Onto the bread. Spread it onto the bread. There we go. Oh. 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 the bread. You know that, right? Yeah. Okay. are very, very important. How about instructions on how to get saved? How important is that? That's very, very important. Okay, I wanted to show you guys this quick illustration because although God can use anything, right? He can use your mess-ups. He can use you even being doctrinally incorrect in order to stir people's hearts. How important is it for you to be accurate? I got honey all over me. (laughs) 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 You boo! Boo! All right. How important is it for you to be correct? Very important. Very, very important. So you better know what you're talking about. But at the same time, at the same time, don't be afraid to speak. It's like when you guys start anything. You start off knowing nothing, feeling very insecure. You learn about things along the way. You get some experience, and then you're able to do it better and better and better and better, right? And if you don't get better and better and better and better, then you quit that thing because it's not your thing. This is a side note. Yeah, exactly. But the gospel is always your thing. <laughs> it should always be something that you're ready to talk about. And how are you going to get better if you never actually do it? And so go into it with, with confidence, knowing, number one, that the law of God is written where? On their heart. Okay? The law of God is written on their heart. And 2 Peter 3.9 says that God is not willing that... Any should perish. So you have everything going for you. If you make mistakes while speaking, is God still going to use it? Yes, absolutely. Even if you end up being a heretic by the things you end up saying, okay? You gain the experience needed to get better and better and better at articulating the gospel and spiritual truths, okay? Very important, very important. So I just wanted to do that just because I saw it once and I laughed a whole lot and I thought you guys might enjoy that one. All right, so with that, on your back side of your sheet, the Lord Jesus Christ is the author and finisher of your faith. And so here's my question. We don't have time to answer this right now, but here's my question. Can you explain the gospel? I wanted to have you guys take about five minutes and write the gospel out. I would love to be able to do that. But I want you guys to think about that. Can you explain the gospel? If I asked you right now in those blank spaces to write out the gospel in a way that someone could understand it, could you do it? You need to. And think about it from this perspective, especially for those of you that are going to be doing VBS this year. There are some people that have no church background. They know nothing about Jesus, nothing about God, nothing about the Bible. How would you tell them about the gospel? Because you have kids, little kids, that are going to be in here, and when you start throwing words around like sin, they may have heard it while in the church, but they don't really understand what that means per se. So you need to learn how to define that for them. What does the Bible say? And you need to think about how to actually talk to somebody about it. Because I think there's a lot of people that call themselves Christians. Man, I'm getting honey in my Bible now. Oh, I know. The Bible is honey. All right. Sweet as a taste. Okay. By the way, that is an interesting study. If you study honey in the Bible, it is the Bible. Okay. All right. Um, But anywho, going back. Sorry, we got off track a little bit. 
So you think about that for a second. Is how would you articulate that to somebody? You should be able to. And so here's my challenge to you guys. I want you to articulate the gospel to somebody. I would love for you guys to do that. You know, whether you, you do it, you know, with each other right now on the way into the main service. You do it while you're sitting down. Do it with one of your parents today. Do it. Just do it. Articulate the gospel and see if you can do it. And have the other person talk to you about it. Be like, yeah, I love how you did this. Go ahead, Brandon. Come to the mall with us. Yes. Absolutely. Right way to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Share a little bit about that. What are you guys doing? When do you do it? So we've been doing it every Saturday at about 1130. Yeah, 1130 to 130. And so basically we go around the mall and try to get into conversations, try to give people the gospel. And it's been going really good so far. I mean, we get to hang out with each other too, so... If you're nervous about it, I mean, like Stephen says, you have to do it to be able to come better, and uh, you'll get better at it. Yeah. And the other side of this too is that if you don't, if you cannot articulate the gospel, then are you even saved? You need to think about that as well, because if you are saved, you should know the gospel because it saved you. All right. Uh, Jamie, go ahead. I was five when I understood it. So kids can understand it. They really do. Okay. All right, let's go ahead and pray, and then we will be out of here. Lord, thank you for these things that you taught us today. I pray we'd be good stewards of this mystery. Um, This one's very, very important, and a lot of people are letting it go when they need to hold on to it tighter and tighter. So I pray, God, that you'd help us. Uh, Give us opportunities this week to share the gospel, um, maybe even to have spiritual conversations or to encourage someone uh, in their walk with you. Just open up those doors for us. And when those doors open up, especially because when we pray for them, they will open up, um, that you would give us the boldness to walk through it, knowing that uh, you are behind us 110%. And you are glorified uh, by us having these conversations with people and just sharing stuff with people and even sharing the things that you're teaching us on a daily basis. It's very, very important that we uh, earnestly contend for the faith and not let these things slip. So thank you, God, for today. I pray that we would hide these things in our heart and do something about it. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.